Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest this week has a career spending over 30 years in the Australian food industry, dozens of awards, TV shows like MasterChef and My Restaurant Rules, and best-selling cookbooks to his name, and owns some of Australia's most celebrated restaurants and bars. Yep, safe to say that Matt Moran is an Aussie food icon. Like all hospitality venues, Matt's restaurants were hit hard by the restrictions around COVID-19. So Matt quickly adapted to sell home-delivered boxes of fruit and veg, taking customers through the preparation and cooking processes for his recipes via live stream, and capitalising on people's time at home in the kitchen. I'm going to ask Matt how growing up on a farm taught him the discipline he needed to start his own business. And what are his various experiences in life that has actually contributed to his success? And what does success mean for him? And how important is being obsessive about what you do and loving what you do? And what's the end game? Is he going to sell? Is he going to stay? What's his deal? So let's get into it. Matt Moran, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Mate, great to be here. Good to see you, eh? Yeah, it's been a while. Feels like it's been forever. Mm, yeah, I'd look, you know, well, we've sort of missed half a year, haven't we, with COVID completely, so. Totally. Just take that uh, out of the equation. It hasn't been that long then. <laughs> yeah, well, the last time we, we saw each other was at a dinner about, uh, probably about a year ago in uh, Redfin. Mm, good Lebanese, um, good Lebanese slap up that one. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, it was actually, it's good. Uh, I'm sure if someone like you, like, uh, it's good to be on the, on the other side of the table. Yeah, look, I was invited by um, by Johnny Elias for a big Lebanese slap up on a on a Sunday, and I have to say it's one of the best Lebanese meals I've ever had in my life. Tell you something funny about Johnny. I know Johnny from school. So yeah, right. Johnny went to the, my school, but he was younger, and uh, I coached him in football. Did you really? I was in year twelve when he was in uh, like year six or something like that. Yeah, he was an unbelievable footballer at the time. But one of the things I remember about him, he was just like. I couldn't control him. Like he was always climbing up trees and shit. Like I always had John, because his brother Joe was my yeah. best friend at school. Yeah, right. I, I went around the house one time. The thing I remember when I walked in the house was the smell, mm. the smell of Lebanese food. Yeah, I, yeah, I actually yeah. could smell it. Like, yeah. you know, we're a Greek family. We, we so I guess my house might have smelled too, but their house had this smell of uh, spices and things that I never smelled before. Mate, I, I look, Johnny's Johnny's great. I train with Johnny a bit too, so I see him so. But, you know, you're right. When uh, when I was, not so much when I was little, but now if I walk into a house, it should be a TV show where you just get chefs walking in houses and you've got to tell them what sort of cuisine it is. And where it sort of comes from. Yeah, yeah exactly. Where, where, what know, region? And, and that's funny, like someone like you, Matt Moran, like Moran, I went to school with Morans, um, not, not, probably not related to you, but Irish, Catholics, yeah. uh, and 
when I went to school, everybody at school, and you know, you didn't get many Lebanese, a few Lebanese, weren't many Greeks, a few Greeks, quite a few Italians, to be honest with you, but uh, but everyone else is a, an Aussie guy. And mm. uh, I would go to their house and I would smell nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so true, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I used to get a surprise when dinner time was on. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm going to ask you what happened in your house. I bet it when dinner time was on because, you know, you come from the bush. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure your dad and mum were working their asses off because that's what happens in the bush. I mean, yep. I just come back from uh, my own farm where we're where we've been carving, and yep. you know, like, and it's everyone just works their ass off. You get up yep. as soon as the lights up, you're up, bang, out. I'm not, I'm exhausted. I had to come home for a rest, and uh, <laughs> because you know you're out, you're doing stuff all day, and mm. they don't have time to start preparing good meals. There's no. no time in your in your house. Was there a smell? I mean. Wh- no, the, look, there wasn't really. You know, I came from a, a, a pretty basic food background and that's it's quite an interesting subject because a lot of people always say to me, you know, um, Matt, you must come from, you know, a country and your grandmother was this incredible baker and yeah. you know, they did everything themselves and, you know, and all these beautiful stories which are all nice and romantic. It's not true at all, Mark. It was the complete opposite. Um, I don't think I had a decent meal until I started cooking myself at 15. Uh, it was really a piece of protein and three vegetables and the vegetables were generally boiled they might have had a bit of a, a white sauce on top of the, the cauliflower or yeah. broccoli. Um, they were always cooked for about four days. <laughs> they were really soft and, and, and mushy. Um, and the piece of protein generally was something that was, you know, really overcooked. I remember, you know, when I started my apprenticeship and I was already cooking, I'd go to my grandmother's house. Um, and she was actually not a bad baker. She used to make great crumbles and, and things like that and cakes and tarts. But, you know, would have a, a piece of lamb that was obviously killed on, on the farm and it was, would have been really good lamb. And uh, I remember her often saying, God, you know, there's good lamb. And I sit there and think to myself, oh, geez, she's bloody cooked the hell out of it. There's no moisture left in it whatsoever. <laughs> this uh, is pre-pre-apprenticeship or? It was during my apprenticeship. During your apprenticeship. You know, my, my grandmother, she passed away in oh, 2013. She was 99 um, and, you know, very country sort of, you know, woman and, and didn't care who was in the room. She's cooked what she did and if you didn't like it, well, bad luck. You know, well, that was that was dinner, mate. Yeah. You know, like, well, I used to go to my friend's place, Peter's house around the corner in the same street, and one of the things I remember is that there was everyone had like a small pile of, on a plate, small pile of white bread, mm. and there was jam mm. and butter mm. that sort of went with a dinner. It was maybe to fill them up, I don't know, because, you know, we all grew up in the, you know, working class sort of families, mm. and, uh, and, and and the country people, made, what you just said is quite interesting, because the blokes who work for me, they live at my farm, they're the same. I mean, yeah. food's functional. Yeah. i got to eat. Yeah, yeah. Because I got to work tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. And away I go. And then I grew up having something completely different. Like you know, I turned up at school with a uh, um, eggplant marinated from the night before, and it probably yeah. stunk the shit out of everybody. And I said, all I wanted to do, in Matt, no joke, was buy <laughs> pie and sauce on Monday mornings when you could. My <laughs> mum never had it. Was able to get a loaf of bread because yeah. bread was stale Monday because yeah. you only got delivered on Friday. Yeah, yeah. And all I wanted to do was be like everyone else. And I wanted to get Devon sandwiches, but my parents would not let me have Devon in a million years. Yeah, Tomato right. sauce and Devon sandwiches. Yeah. Now you, mm. you probably grew up that way, and here you are diametrically opposed mm. in the majority. Mm. And that's your life. Your life mm. is around, around taste, smell, what it looks like, mm. where it comes from, you know, trying different things, being experimental. Mm. With that sort of stuff. I mean, mm. that's a massive change. Yeah, it is. In fact, you're part of the change. Yeah, of course. You, you, you create change. Yeah, I think, um, you know, chefs and restaurateurs these days, you know, the world has changed and everything's got a lot closer and and uh, people are much more conscious of what they eat, you know, to a certain extent. Um, but they want to know what's in it. They want to know where it comes from. They want to know who grows it. They want to know who harvests it. They want to know who, who nurtures it. And I think that's really important. Um, and, you know, just in the last sort of couple of years, we see a real push 
um, towards more plant-based foods. People are eating more more vegetarians around yeah. these days, Mark, than than ever before. I remember, you know, being a chef twenty years ago, and vegetarian would come in, you give them a plate of broccoli, and that, that's <laughs> that's changed a hell of a lot. And not only that, because the cost of things, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, meat products, meats, you know, a lot more expensive than what is what it used to be. In fact, beef and lamb has probably gone up, you know, forty percent in the last couple of years. Um, so, you know, as a restaurateur and a chef, you know, you've got to use smaller portions. So that's when you've got to fill it up with other stuff and that tends to be plant-based. So, But you've got to be a lot more creative with it. You don't just put you know, potatoes on the side and, and hope for the best. You've, you've got to be a lot more creative, which means a lot more people have actually then turned more vegetarian and want more vegetarian food. You know, There's even restaurants now in Sydney. Yellow is a great example, which is just all... Up Potts Point there? Yeah, yeah, which is just all um, vegetarian-based. Has it changed? Are you saying to me that mm. now when you go to a restaurant mm. that you're going to get more vegetables on your plate? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 100%. The protein piece is generally a bit smaller. It's a cost deal. It's, it's more of a cost deal, but it's also um, it's also more of a trend of where people are actually heading. You know, they they you know more conscious about their bodies and what they're putting into them and, and being healthier. And, you know, I think it's it's fairly well known now that, you know, I think people are, are eating less protein, um, you know, whether it's cost or whether it's health-wise. I think, um, I think it's definitely a trend. But then I've got a steakhouse opening this week, so you know. Totally, but, and I know the joint, the chop house. It's it's very good. Mm. No, I, and I didn't realize. I didn't even know that that was your place. I mean, I've, I've been going there for years. Mm. My, st- I got a branch. I got an office across the road from there. Mm. My son works in that office. My youngest boy, they go there all the time, but they haven't mm. been going there because it's been closed. But uh, the chop house is in Bly Street. There's been around for a long, long time. Yeah, it has. Look, I, I bought it oh, four years ago, I think, um, and it was a successful restaurant. And we sort of just let it, you know, run the way it was and. Bruce and I are involved in it and, um, you know, we just sort of, it got run down a little bit and we just kind of, you know, thought during COVID, what a great time to sort of relaunch it a bit and, and put my brand to it and and all my meat's going through it now. So I've got um, all Moran's beef and, um, you know, I've been aging it for the last few weeks and, and we're really excited by it. But even in the steakhouse, you know, I, I find that, um, you know, we follow the American system is where, you know, you'd, you'd order the biggest steak you possibly can and hope to hell you got through it. Um, is where nowadays we see that, you know, the smaller portion is happening but better quality. So we're eating probably less meat but we're eating better quality meat. A lot of people listen to this and, and they'd say, oh, I want to be Matt Moran. Like, like, uh, Do they? Oh, well, because, you know, you're a successful <laughs> chef and uh, there's a million chefs, as you know, mm. and there's not that many successful ones. Mm. And they would measure success by all sorts of different ways, mm. you know, making money, so-called celebrity status, and both you and I know that's all bullshit, yep. but anyway, yep. it doesn't matter. Yep. That's a bit more of a perception. Having successful restaurants, what they forget about is all the ones that weren't successful. Mm. I mean, both of us have been through those same processes mm. in business. People think every business I set up is great. Yep. You know, some are, some, <laughs> most aren't. Um, the same goes for restaurants. Um, and you and I know there's a, a long line of restaurateurs who are very, very well known yep. and perceived as being successful who have had a lot of unsuccessful restaurants. Yep. Yeah, we both know they yeah, are. We, yeah, yeah, we do. They're yeah. mates of ours. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and and for some reason it just gets overlooked. Yeah. Why did Matt Moran? leave the farm and go and decide to become an apprentice chef. I'm sure Dad was saying to you, listen, mate, uh, you know, when you turn 18, you can mm. start working here and helping out. You've you got a dairy farm? I was born on a, de- uh, a normal farm, actually just um, sheep and cattle in Tamworth, and until uh, I was four. And then unfortunately, Mark, you know, as farmers do, they, you know, we had three farms in the family then. They lost the lot. Um, that was in the mid seventies, and then somehow they managed to to buy a dairy farm 
150 acres at Badgerish Creek. God, wouldn't you wish they bloody kept that? That's, that's um, worth plenty of day as a housing estate. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and we had a dairy farm, but that didn't last that long either. So we Dairy's left. a tough game. Oh, yeah, mate. Well, you don't have a day off, you know. That's tough. Um, so I was about eight or nine then, and um, they had no money, and they bought a little house in Seven Hills, Blacktown. So I did all my high school in, in, in Blacktown, Um Dad had bought, he'd made a little bit of money cutting brewer's grain for the breweries to dairy farms because the cows love the, the hops and the, the, you know, barley. And uh, he bought a tiny little place at Tarauga. And um, I used to go there every weekend, so he made us bloody work. Like, he, you know, we were at school, but he'd made us work every weekend. And I just decided, I decided at year 10 that school wasn't for me and... and um, and so I think school probably agreed with that too. <laughs> That's been a little bit naughty. And uh, I, I would have done anything to leave school. Like, I mean anything. I don't have this incredible romantic story, as I said, about, you know, my family being, you know, all chefs. Yeah. And I thought, you know, do I be a motor mechanic? Do I do a painter? And then I did a little bit of work experience um, as a in a bakery, thinking, geez, that's a great job. I can finish by midday and go and do whatever I like. Um, and then somehow I got a job through a friend at Parramatta RSL on Fridays and Saturdays. He gave me 10 bucks a night. Um, Graham Plunkett was his name. He could crack an egg with one hand, and I thought he was an absolute god. Uh, the guy <laughs> on the deep fryer, geez, I thought one day if I could get on that bloody deep fryer, you know, that would be heaven. But he'd been on it for four years, and all he wanted to do was be on the grill, and he'd been on there for five years, the guy on the grill. And, uh, you know, our sauces come out of a bucket and, and I thought, geez, you know, cooking's not a bad job, you know, might be able to go overseas. So I started looking for an apprenticeship um, uh, at the year, end of year 10 and for, you know, the hell of it. There's no way no one would give me a job. Like, you know, I was just this, you know, big kid from Blacktown that, you know, had a bit of attitude. Well, I don't think I had attitude, not when I was going for interviews, but I probably did behind the scenes. And uh, I just couldn't get a job anyway. It was just impossible. And so Dad made me go back to school for a couple of months in year 11. I hated it. And uh, I just kept going and, and just out of the blue went to uh, this job interview, a little restaurant called La Berholine in Roseville, which happened to be probably in the top three restaurants in Sydney. Um, you know, it was eight chefs. They did 40 covers a night. It was really fine dining. I went there and did a trial and he told me to leave school on the Monday. And that's, that's how it all started. And I remember, because my father used to come from Blacktown to pick me up every night, six nights a week, because we worked six days back in those days, 12, 14 hour days. Um, you know, got paid about a buck twenty. I think Good grounding, great grounding, and um, and uh, well, to me it was learning. You know, I didn't see this so much as you know working. You know, I was, I was being educated at the same time. And I remember the first night my father came in to pick me up from the the trial, and he said, he said, you know, what do you think? And I said, Dad, you've got no idea what they do with food. Some guy whips up an egg white, and makes a souffle. One guy, you know, fans a strawberry and makes it look really pretty on a plate. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life, and I just knew straight away. Wow, this is what I wanted. It was like a light switched on. Were you fascinated? I was fascinated and obsessed by it, you know, a little bit, you know, um, compulsive, obsessive. But that's good. Yeah, it was great. And I just threw myself in it and worked, you know, 90 hours a week. And and uh, I stayed there for nearly five years. Um, I was head chef by the time I was buddy, you know, 18, one of the top restaurants, and then never looked back, you know. And, and to this day, I've been cooking now for over 35 years. My um, passion has never waned. And I think going back to your question about being successful and and, and measuring it, um, I've always said to myself is where I'm so lucky because I don't feel as though that I have a, a real job. Like to me, 
you know, what are they, the famous saying? Yeah. Do what you love in life and you never have to work another day. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I have bad days. But, you know, it's been a progression. You know, at 15 I never envisaged owning my own restaurant. I owned my own restaurant when I was 22. And uh, and then, you know, I had, God knows, I don't know how many I've opened now. Some successful, some incredibly successful, and we've gone on to buy the real estate in them and, and things like that. You know, and some of them haven't been. You know, there, there's been a couple over the years that, you know, people probably don't know about, but, you know, I was involved in and, and lost a bit of dough. But, you know, the, the crux of the story is uh, I've surrounded myself with really good people. You know, my first partner, Peter Sullivan, who was with me for 24 years, was amazing. And then Bruce, who's been with me for over 20 years. You're talking about Bruce Solomon. Bruce eh? Solomon, yeah. Bruce, Bruce is, a, you know, he was a, a barrister um, and then got into pubs, you know. He went from one bar to the other, as he says. You know, very well self-made and, and you know, we've been partners now for over 20 years. You know, and what we've done, it's always been equal. So, you know, he's he's never put a dollar more than I have and I've never put a dollar more than he is. And I think that's what the what a successful partnership is. And, uh, you know, I think we've got about 12 places now. But there always has to be someone in the front of the house. Um, yeah. And you're and you're And Peter dude. was for a very long time. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of funny because I just went away with Peter on the weekend. We're, we're still mates. And, you know, I was talking about how everyone at the restaurants still miss him, you know, and it's a, the Peter Sullivan walk, you know, that he'd come through the restaurants and walk around and make sure that everyone was all right. And that's kind of instilled in the restaurants. As I said before, I found that surrounding myself with people that actually knew more about uh, what we were doing than I did, and I just sponged and learnt off them, you know, whether it was the finance, the back of house, and then obviously you learn from that too, you know, you realise that, you know, restaurants aren't just about the food, restaurants just aren't about the service, um, they're actually a business. You know, I remember when Peter and I first opened the Paddington Inn in 91, after the first two or three months, we thought, geez, this is a bloody easy business. You know, how much money we got in the bank? And we realised we just hadn't been paying people properly. You know, <laughs> now, like our, our suppliers, yeah. you know, because you, it, it obviously 30 days terms. Yeah, and then yeah, you think, geez, this is really, really easy. And then and then you realise, geez. And then after the first year, I think we thought, God, we're going to have to put in five grand each, otherwise we're going to go broke. And that's when the light clicked about the business side of it. Because I could always cook, um, you know, and I probably had an idea of the costings and, and the understanding of it. But I didn't really, you know. It's all about that back of house that makes the makes a difference with the restaurants and marketing and, and promotion and, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. They're, they're not easy businesses. It's not an easy business because the margins are low mm. and, and, you've got to, and you've got to keep turning over. You're always chasing the turnover. But in terms of you just hit on a marketing, marketing a business, mm. I want to talk about the front of house. I mean, it's all very well. You've got a really great machine in the back and you know how mm. to do, buy things at the right price, you know how to source things at the right price, you've got a good – Someone at the back who knows how to make something in a fan of strawberry, or whatever it is, make it look really good on <laughs> and taste really good. But at the end of the day, if you don't get anyone in the in the shop, mm. you know you've got to get them come in the door. Mm. And it's about an experience. Eating mm. is about experience, not just the taste. But it's like everyone around me, and mm. uh, you know, I go there because oh, there's so and so sitting over there, or there's the chef, there's mm. Matt Marin. At what point did you realise that? the front of house is really important and you have to participate in the front of house. You yeah. have to present yourself. And you've gone and done TV shows. You and I have both done the same thing. You've done TV mm. shows, you've done books, mm. and they're just re they're just ways of presenting the front of house. Yeah, of course. So well, when did you realise this? What age? How old were you? Mate, well, look, you know, there's always that, um, you know, that us and them, and it always has been. You know, we're the chefs and they're the waiters and, and we hate them and they hate us and we yell at them and we tell them to take the food out. Um, I think it really sort of, you know, really – Concrete is when you actually own your own business and, you know, you, you, you're producing this incredible food and you, it needs to get to the customers. So you, you've got to 
you've got to really sort of, you know, be nice to that front of house and you, you know that, that they are an extension of what you are. You know, they're the guys that are actually taking the food to the table and they're the guys telling the, the people what it is and what it's about. Now, you know, I was pretty full on when I was young, you know, when it came to the kitchens and the, the stress of it and you'd get hot-headed and you'd raise your voice and, and you kind of realise if you are attacking someone else, um, and I've always said if I ever raised my voice, I could back it up by, you know, explaining as to why, but, you know, you frazzle someone and then they've got to go out to the customer and they're all, you know, and that, that, that makes a big difference. Yeah, and I think with being competitive with restaurants also and over the years, you know, more and more restaurants popping up, people just didn't go to a restaurant for food anymore. You know, they went for food, the ambience, the, the service, the wine list, the location. To say they've been? Yeah. Well, no, the just, reputation? Yeah, a reputation, everything. Like there's so much more involved in, in, in opening a restaurant anymore. It's not just about having good food and, and having good service, you know. Expectations are a lot bigger than what they used to be. And people say it's about Sydney, but I don't know if it, it is the case, but mm. I hear it that we are fickled. Are we? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in terms oh, yeah, of when, people, as, when as a restaurant patronage. opens, yeah, yeah when a restaurant goes, look, when a restaurant opens and, and people all flock there, and then, uh, yeah, that does happen. But I suppose what you've really got to concentrate on when you actually do open a restaurant, it's about longevity. Yeah. And that's really important. Well, what's the formula for longevity? What, what's, what have you seen in your successful restaurants, the ones that have been going for a long time, what, what works? Well, it, it, there's only one word for it, consistency, no question. And um, I, I, you know, I'm very lucky in, in a lot of my venues is where they have a lot of different things going for them. One of them is location. You know, you look at Opera Bar, you look at Aria, North Bondo Fish, Chiswick in the Garden. Barangaroo House of Barangaroo, like they're, they're great positions and, and always have been. And I suppose that's the smart thing too is when you're actually opening a restaurant, you've got to look at your demographic and where you are and, um, and what you're going to offer. It's, it's all those little things that will make a great restaurant. In terms of the ingredients in, as to the restaurants you go to, mm. how big is an ingredient is a successful restaurant or more importantly longevity of the restaurant of the personality within the restaurant? So right. Matt Moran – personality at Chop House. Yeah. Matt Moran personality at Aria. Matt might not even be there because he can't be at every restaurant every night, but the fact that it is a Matt Moran mm. restaurant. Look, it's something that I, I say to a, a lot of my staff and and I say it to anyone and everyone. And I'll, I'll give you a great example, Mark, of um, a greeting or, you know, how you, how you walk into a restaurant. Let's just say that you're going to the Opera House. You've got tickets for 7.30. It's a Friday, right? You're in city, you've got to go home to the North Shore and you've got to come back. You're, you're stressed, right? Traffic is a nightmare coming over the bridge. You're angry, you're grumpy, and you get angry and grumpy. You know? I do. Yeah, um, <laughs> as we all do. And, uh, you know, you, you come down to Macquarie Street, but you've got a pre-theatre at Aria, right? So you've got a booking at 6 o'clock, you've got to be out by 7.30 to get to your, your concert at 7.35, right? You're stressed, you're freaking out, your family's already there because you had to go home and get changed. You're grumpy as anything. You get down the car park. It's bloody full. It's hot. You've got to get your ticket. You're running late. You run up to Aria. You walk in the door. You are shitty. You want to rip anyone's head off, you know, the minute you walk in there. And the girl at the front desk just smiles at you. How are you today, sir? Automatically, if you're greeted by someone, whether it's in a, in a milk bar or a McDonald's or a shop or a restaurant or a cafe, the way that they greet you, the minute you walk in and if they greet you in a really nice, polite way with a really big smile, you just melt. You know, you just go, oh, I'm all right now. And then your night gets turned around. 
And I'm sure you've been in, you know, going out for dinner with your family or whatever, and you're in a shitty mood, you don't really want to be there, and someone turns you around and, you know, you feel good but they feel good and, and that to me is the, the way that you should be greeted in any restaurant. I often say, I often say because in my Yellow Big Road business, my branches, we've got branches all over the place, and, uh, and I say, listen, our money, there's no such thing as a design a dollar. Yep. There's no Armani dollars. I mean, a dollar's a dollar. I lend you a dollar or Westpac lends you a dollar or Aussie lends you a dollar. YVR's dollar's no better or any worse than anybody else's. Mm. I say to them, if, if and it, all our interest rates are the same, pretty much. Mm. There's no big di- difference between a lot of them. And if I line up, my, I say to my guys, if you're lined up against Aussie, Westpac and uh, Rams and you're the YVR guy, the borrower will borrow the money from the person they like the most. Of course they will. And yep. if I like you, I'll yep. do business with you. Yeah, of course. So, and and you're, that's what you're saying. Kill them with kindness. Absolutely. Because, I, I, I mean, I've got choices. I can go to Aria mm-hmm. or I can go to some other restaurant yep. around there, you yep. know, and and uh, I'm going to choose the one. Well, Matt Moraney's a good bloke. Yeah, I've seen him. He's, he's a nice person. He's not an asshole. He's not uh, Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Actually, I quite like Gordon Ramsay. Don't Gordon's mean? one of my best yeah, friends. Yeah, I know. You he's know he's okay, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, Matt's a good bloke or Guillaume Brahimi's a good yeah, bloke yeah. or Gary Megan's a good bloke. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's a good bloke thing. Yeah, it is, yeah. And, yeah. uh what I wanted to say here is the TV shows, we are talking about marketing, the TV shows and the radio shows and the newspaper articles and the books you write, mm. to some extent it's about lay, laying your personality as a good person mm. over mm. those restaurants that you own. Yeah, of course. Otherwise, people don't know who you are. They don't no. know anything about Matt Moran. No. So that's an important thing mm. because you have to lay your your brand and the brand being, yeah, he's an approachable guy, he's knowledgeable, he knows what he's doing. Mm. So if you're trying to run a, any sort of business for that matter, but we're talking about restaurants at the moment, you need to somehow, relative to the other competition, somehow lay your personality over the top. And then when I walk in, I need to see that personality again. Not mm. you, but mm. I need to see coming out of the girl at the reception. Is that your thought process? Because that's what marketing is to me is about. Yeah, to a certain extent, you know, I... <laughs> You know, because I'm a chef in back of house, you know, I, I want to I want to put my, my name on the menu at some point where you see that, you know, Moran's beef, Moran's lamb at Chiswick or whatever it is. But, you know, hopefully there is a little bit of DNA somewhere within the restaurant. You know, you walk in, you see a cookbook of mine sitting up there. So that that's, to me, you know, quite important, I think, if you're going to put your brand behind it. Yeah. And brand, as you know, brand is the most important thing you've got. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because uh, your reputation is your brand. Yeah. Because to me, my observation of, you and all those other people I named, you know, there's a dozen of them I can think of in Australia, they have great reputations mm. and they've worked on their reputation mm. and their reputation to some extent is actually bigger than their successes in a lot of mm. ways. Like a lot of the restaurateurs I know, you and I know mm. some of them, they haven't done so well. Mm. But their reputation is they go and open your restaurant tomorrow and it'll do well. The people yep. will turn up. Yep. Yeah, and whether or not it'll, it'll last or not is a matter of mm. the backer house, the costing mm. and the rent and the staff costs and all the other things that we're going to talk about in the second half. So, I mean, I have to say I'm I'm a Matt Moran fan. Before everybody, you know, you probably think I'm sort of uh, blowing smoke up his ass. Well, I am because I'm I'm a fan of you. So, bad luck. We're going to go to the break. <laughs> and we'll come straight back. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. 
Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So Matt, we were talking about how important it is for marketing business and all the various various layers that you've done. I, I, I want to ask you this because it's an important question I've been asked in the past. Are you comfortable with being a personality and a celebrity? I mean, you're a, you're a kid from a farm. It's pretty unusual. Oh, Mark, if never, growing up, never in my wildest dreams would I have ever thought of, you know, owning my own restaurant, you know, writing a cookbook, working for an airline, you know. Being on TV, you know, in, in fact, I remember the first TV show, I, I didn't even want to audition for it. They they asked me to do it. Which my, one was it? My Restaurant Rules. Yeah, yeah. With um, Curtis Stone was the host and I was one of the judges. So, God, that's going back in 2003, I think it was. And uh, the premise of the show was uh, two different people from each state and the winner gets a restaurant and they've never owned a restaurant before. And it's like, guys, you're freaking kidding yourself. <laughs> That's not going to work. They're not going to be able to run a restaurant. <laughs> I don't think any of them really did anyway. But, um, you know, I think because I arced up so much and I said, you guys are idiots, um, that's what they wanted, you know, and that's obviously that's how personality. They, yeah, they want, well, that's the TV. That's how it started, I suppose, and it just progressed. Um, you know, am I comfortable with it? Oh, look, Mark, I'm a pretty private sort of person. Mm. You know, you only have to look at my Instagram to see there's a million photos of, of me in the farm and the restaurants. But, but nothing else. Nothing else. No family, um, no kids, nothing. No, 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 never. And I don't, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I don't sort of judge anyone else for, for doing that. That's completely up to them. But I've just always been that person where I'd like to keep some things private. Um, you know, look, of course, in my restaurants, you know, people come up, they ask for a photo and, and sign a cookbook. Of co- You know, I love that and acknowledging that. Um you know, it, it, it's a bit of a pain sometimes, you know, when I might be sitting in, in the restaurant with the family and someone might come up. They come up and say hello by all means, but when they come up and say, look, I really don't want to disturb you, but then they sit down. Oh. <laughs> and with the family, it's like, <laughs> you know. Have like, you worked it out? <laughs> look at me. Um, but, you know, look, you choose your destiny, and I chose that destiny a long, long time ago. If I wanted to be in the public eye, well, then you've got to, you've got to um, expect, you know, what goes with it and, and don't whinge about it. And I'm very grateful for it because what it has done, it's turned, um, you know, people uh, into patronage, you know, people coming to the restaurants and spending money, people wanting to be part of that, you know, celebrity bit of it, you know, a cookbook or, you know, during COVID, you know, we all, I shut down, there's 28 businesses we shut down between Bruce and I. And, um, you know, I had one guy that ring, rang me up and said, hey, look, I'm, I want to propose to my, my girlfriend at my home. Can you, can you come and cook? And I was like, well, you know, for a dollar I can. <laughs> it might have been a bit more than a dollar. But, you know, and to me it was just like, you know, 
do it, go and do it, earn some money, but also have some fun with it. And geez, I had a fun bloody day. You know, I had a real fun. The whole whole family ended up turning up, and you know they were great people, and it was you know a, a result. She said yes, thank God. But you know th- those little moments to me are pretty special too. Yeah, well, and I, I guess I mean I, I sort of did the same thing because sometimes you think to yourself, well, sh- should I be sort of? It's a good time to have a, give yourself a bit of an uppercut too, because mm. you you sort of say, uh, well, should I be stepping down to do that? Because you know I'm used to running twenty eight restaurants, and I've. You know, but at the end of the day, it's not about the dollar. No. It's about just doing what you do. It's about feeling and, good. And, and and sort of sharing that. Like yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I've been doing all sorts of weird things during the COVID period too. Mm. And most a lot of times there's no money in it for me. Mm. And I think, mm. oh, fuck, I don't want to do that. I can't be bothered. Mm. But then when I'm doing it, you I love think, it. how good is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah, especially when you see other people sort of enjoying it and yeah, getting yeah. something out of it. Yeah. Um, and, and to some extent, I have to remind myself every time though of, yeah. of this. But I come from, like you, we come from yeah. an environment where you do what you've got to do yeah. to survive. I mean, yeah. I remember my old man during the, the 72 recession and again uh, the 81 recession, all of it. My dad was always getting put off. Like yeah. his job, he worked in a factory and – Factory, we'd have to put people off, and we'd, you know, we'd be in a position where there'd be no income. Um, and my dad would go and do anything. He'd go and make build fences. He'd do, mm. he'd do anything. I often say we're not, we never do what we're told. We do what we see. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw that. Yeah. And today, if someone says to me, "Will you do this for you know five hundred bucks?" Yeah, yeah. And it's like two or three hours. I don't say, "Oh, that's so much per hour." Yeah, I will right. do yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. I don't. I do it because it's not because it's marketing. I do it because it is. It's what I do. Yeah. And you can't ever, you know, my mum would always say, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. You yeah, exactly. must take what, you've, what yeah, you're offered. Absolutely. Yeah. No matter what. And it seems to me you're doing the same thing. And this is what COVID has created for us. I would like your commentary on this. I mean, COVID has made us remember yeah. where we came from. Absolutely. And absolutely. what we've got to do to survive. Absolutely. And anyone's too yeah. proud, you're not going to make it. No, not at all. What, what have you done? The first, the first Friday night, this is a really good story, sir. It was the first Friday night that we got in lockdown. We couldn't go to anyone else's houses. And one of the girls just said to me, she said, Maddie, you reckon on Friday night we could just do a little Zoom and you could teach us how to cook something? And I went, of course. You know, this is your right. training group. Yes. Yeah, your gym, your, Chang, your gym mates. Yeah, Chang, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, 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 and uh, yeah. Trent and Benny Buckley and, and, uh, and a few other guys. And I said, yeah, of course. And um, it, was, it was fun. But two things that it really uh, stood out straight away. It's like, Wow, there's one one there's one thing in this is where I could do this to corporates and make a bit of money. Yep, you know to get through. And the other one was my friends can't cook to save themselves. Yeah, <laughs> they, they're just... and, and they're people you knock around with all the time. <laughs> yeah. they, were, they were struggling a little bit. So then I just went out there in corporates, and I reckon I've done I've done one at least at least one every week, and I've done probably two some weeks. Is where you know um, Toyota or Beach, whoever it was. You know, they would get uh, a Zoom together. I did one for 440 people one one night, a um, couple of 200s and a couple of 100s. And I could speak to some people, but I, I built my home um, and I built it, you know, with a pretty good kitchen. You know, I've got a big cool room and I've got a big concrete bench and massive big French stove. And I built it to actually film in it, you know, 11 years ago. Um, and it took me to COVID to actually start using it for, for what I what I built it for. So I got a production guys in there, and we've just been doing zooms, you know, at least once a week, and and it's been fantastic. And I got a bit of coin out of it to keep the girls going and and still working for me. And and then obviously the restaurants now have come back. And then when you had to close, you know, everyone had to close. But when you had to close mm. down your all your establishments, mm. um, you told me how you sort of pivoted a little bit and you started doing you know, Zoom demos of cooking mm. and you make a bit of coin. But how did you feel? What, mm. what was your 
your sense at the time? Were you angry or were you, did you feel depressed or did you what – did, what, what went through your head beginning uh, of this year when we're talking look, about March? It, I think more confusion than anything. You know, we, we've, we've got a board and we've got a, a chairman and uh, an independent chairman and, and it works really well for Bruce and I because he keeps us in order, <laughs> keeps us at the table and talk to us. And, you know, I remember uh, two weeks before it, it all happened and we were talking about this thing and thought, God, what would it do if our revenue was down 10%? And we had looked on the you know computer and thought, God, what would it do if it was 20%? Someone laughed and said, just, just have a look at 50%, just, just to see what would happen. And it's like, whoa, you know, we don't want that to happen. Two weeks later, there was zero, you know, we, we closed everything. Um, and I suppose you just, you know, it was confusion. It was one look after our people, of course. So all entitlements and, you know, make sure that everyone was all right and, and having conversations. That was really important. You know, the last thing I thought that I wanted to do, if it all went to shit, you know, I, I didn't want anyone ever saying, geez, you know, Matt never paid me. So, yeah, yeah. So that was really important to, to me and, and also Bruce. Um, and then, you know, we just waiting it out to see what was going to go on, you know, what uh, what the government was doing. And then obviously JobKeeper came in, which obviously helped it immensely and then you know places slowly were allowed to open up for takeaway so we we started Chiswick um takeaway we started North Bondi fish takeaway uh, which did unbelievably so well. So you got North Bondi fish that's the one um yeah down on, under the RSL there. Oh yeah okay. Yeah yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I've always yeah, owned that yeah, one yeah. yeah okay. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, I didn't uh, know that I didn't know you owned that one. No no I go there for um I sit at the bar and have a little bit of sashimi and watch what goes on on Friday nights by myself. I love it. I can you know? imagine. It's really, it's a good one. It's my, my, one of my daughter's favourites. So she often walks down to Bondo with all her friends because we live in Gordon's Bay there. And uh, she walks down there with her friends and she'll often ring me and say, Dad, can I go and have something to eat in North Bondo Fish? Of course she can, babe. Uh, there's six of us. <laughs> 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 they go and have some fish and chips and they get looked after. And uh, so they were really successful in, in, uh, in takeaway, especially Chiswick because it was around Mother's Day. And uh, we normally do about 500 people on Mother's Day at Chiswick because it's a very popular sort of, you know, place for the mums. Um, and we had, I think it was, it was about 350 orders, um, but they were for an average of four people. So we did a lot more covers than what we normally would. So we, you sent out the meals? Yeah. yeah. Well, they picked them up. Yeah, yeah. They came oh, okay. they them. Come so we up. had a line down in the garden of people coming out and picking them up at 12 o'clock for Mother's Day. So they were getting the, the, you know, the lamb shoulder and, and all the stuff and they were taking home having a, um, having a big feast. So, you know, because no one was allowed out. There was no restaurants. And then... What we found is when we slowly started opening other more venues, the takeaway sort of dived a little bit um, because people were coming back in and we were allowed 20 people and, and that's when we started opening them all well, up. What do you think about these, all these arbitrary rules? I mean, I, like, I think it's fair enough I'd have to do a QR code, mm. but just generally speaking, what do you think of all the other sort of arbitrary rules around mm. Mm. running a venue like mm. you run? Look, I think we're a lot luckier than, than somewhere like Victoria and I feel really sorry for my... My, uh, my peers down there because these next six weeks are the most important six weeks for restaurants. That's when they actually put a bit of money in their coffers right. and they get through the next period. You periods. build up. You yep. build up. It's really important. And they're not going to have that um, at all. Um, what we have at the moment, I understand what they're doing and I understand the, the rules and regulations, but it just seems to me that there's a little bit of discrepancies within venues like, you know, Opera Bar, which is a very big bar. You know, we can hold up to 2,000 people in that venue. At the moment, we're only allowed 300 capped. So yesterday when I went down there and everyone, it was full, 300 people, but there's not a square metre rule of two or four. We're allowed two down there because it's outside. There's 10 metres between tables because to fill the you know area, we're normally 2,000 people, 300, it feels like there's no one in there. 
You know, that to me is just absolute ludicrous. When you say it's capped at 300, that means you can't have more than 300 people in because of the space or that's it, just it, 300? A it. venue is not allowed to have any more, hospitality venue, any more than 300 people full stop, so no what matter do you, how, how big they are. So how do you, like, uh, I mean, if the mathematics of the business is it can take 2,000, but let's say on average uh, the best it's going to be is 1,000 at any mm. one time, mm. um, what do you do? You, you, you pay back on your costs? How, how do you manage it? In terms well, of making money out of the joint. Job, JobKeeper obviously is in some place for us yep. um, and it's just scaled back. What we did do when we reopened every venue is we looked at the, the offerings, um, you know, and if you've got 30 items on the menu, Mark, um, and you're at capacity, you know, you're going to need X amount of chefs. Say, you know, 10 chefs, right, to do those 30 dishes that are on the menu. When we reopened, we looked at them and we thought, right, well, we can't afford the 10 chefs, full stop, but we need to reopen. We've got a little bit of JobKeeper helping us. Right, so let's look at that menu and let's scale it back. So, you know, there's less labour involved and less for service. And then you, you do your costings, of course, and work out how many watts you break even. So you change your dishes yeah. to uh, Everything. You know, fit into the, to yeah. the cost structure. And you, you look at what dishes that are um, not as labour-intensive, that have probably a higher margin, um, and then that's slowly how we opened up. You know, instead of having the 30, we might have only had the 10. You know, I'm just hearsay. Um, and then you look at those 10 and go, right, well, the, the costings in those, you got a better margin, um, better cogs, cost per goods, um, labour's not as much, right, if we open up, uh, look at the week, we do five services instead of 14, which is already exactly what we did, right, how many people do we need to have each night to make sure that we, we break even and cover our costs? And that's, yeah. that's what you basically do. And, and so, so you do a minimum and then hopefully you, you, you do more than that and you expand. Proper analytics. So you actually real proper analytics. You sit down there. So do you does Matt Miranda that, or you get your accountant, <laughs> internal guys? Or I mean, who, who we, does we, that? Ma- we, the we, mathematics. We have uh, we have people inside in house. Yeah, yeah. So Solitool has you know a lot of staff. So there's you know probably ten accountants that work in that business that we can sit there and talk about it. But at the same time, you've got to be part of that conversation because if anyone knows how many people is going to turn up to my restaurant or how many you know chefs I need, it's going to be me or my right hand or, you know, my head chef. So we've got to be part of that discussion. So because at the end of the day, like if the accountant's looking at it, for example, or the finance person looking at it, um, and if the finance person is going, well, let's take the menu from 30 to 10 items and mm. um, let's let's have meat pies instead of whatever. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, someone's got to say, hang on, that no one's going to turn up. <laughs> I mean, there's this sort of balance between the two. But there is always a balance. Yeah. And, uh, so is that, is that you and your team? Yeah, it is. You, yeah, you say, yeah, hang all, on, no bass is going to buy this stuff. Yeah, yeah. If you only put meat pies at Ari, you're going to make a lot bigger margin. You're going to make more money. No, you're not because people aren't going to turn up. So there, there is there is that um, knowledge of the business and, yeah. and, and, and and the industry. You know, an accountant is very good at giving you the, the, the spin out, but they don't own restaurants. Yeah, yeah. And restaurants are really personable and, you know, and – I always say that, you know, cooking and, and restauranteuring is it's all about knowledge and knowledge takes time. You know, I remember uh, when I was doing MasterChef, might have been the first year, 2008 I think it was, or 2009, I did four years there. And one of the young girls who I actually went up against her in, in one of the challenges and I remember in that challenge, I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, she beats me. My reputation's gone. I didn't even think about it until I actually got there. But um, I smashed her. But anyway. <laughs> but we, we became very, very good friends. And um, part of the, the thing in the series was I actually, once she got kicked out, I went to her home and um, I just rocked up there with a TV camera, part of MasterChef, and said, hey, you know what, you're out, but, you know, really liked you. I beat you in that challenge. How about I mentor you and come and work in some of my businesses? 
And I actually remember she said, um, Matt, how long is it going to take me to, to learn all this cooking? And I just looked at her and laughed and said, I've been doing it then, 25 years. I haven't even scratched the surface. I've got no idea. You know, you never stop learning. But, you know, learning is, is knowledge and knowledge takes time. And, that's and it changes too, I guess. I mean, it, And it, it does. You know, everything's always changing. You know, I look at, um, you know, when I first started cooking, you go to your um, you know, salad crisper in your fridge and you had an iceberg lettuce. Don't get me wrong, I love an iceberg lettuce. You know, 10 years later, you got a cos lettuce. You know, how many lettuces are there when you go to the supermarket Tar- now? You know, it's, it's – and that's the great thing about our industry. It's all – you're always learning and you're always learning something a little bit different about another cuisine. You know, I started smoking a lot during COVID, you know, smoking meats and things Food, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure a lot of other people took that up, <laughs> I'm sure, during COVID. But, you know, I, I'm always cooking at home. Anyone ever sees my Instagram, they know that I'm always cooking at home. I'm always trying to learn something different. Yeah, because that's important because mm. authenticity on Instagram is a, mm. it's a weird place. I mean, I'm on there too, but mm. it's all, all about authenticity. So you're saying what, what you're saying is I actually love doing what you see on Instagram. I'm actually – yeah. When I'm actually yeah. on Instagram, I'm not doing it just because I want people to see me on Instagram cooking. Yeah. This is authentic because yeah, no. authenticity works. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I have this thing that I, you know, there's two things in life that stop me from sleeping, you know, the night before, and that's going on a big motorbike ride, which I'm about to this weekend, which I can't wait, camping and, and enduro riding. And the other one is if I've got, you know, eight friends coming over on the Sunday and it's a Saturday night, and I'm, I'm cooking four or five hours in the morning on Sunday, I get so excited. I get up really early. I can't sleep because I'm excited to actually get there and, and create something. And this is the key. And then people will come in with their partners on that Sunday lunch and they'll go, geez, Matt, I, I can't believe you did all this for us. You spent four hours in the kitchen just for us to eat your food. It's like, guys, it's not about you. I don't say it to them. I said, I didn't do it for you. <laughs> I did it because I actually enjoy it and I love it. You know, it's not about – yeah, fair enough. I love – seeing people enjoy it, but that four or five hours in the kitchen is not a chore for me. I actually really find it relaxing, therapeutic, and, you know, it's in, in many ways a meditation. That's very interesting. You, you used the word obsession before, um, and I often say to people if, in business, um, you a little bit of obsessiveness about the business you're in, and, and clearly the, the love of it. To me, it's the combination, you know, and I'm a finance guy, but in for me, I mean, I love it. I love, mm. and I am obsessed by it. Mm. I am actually like, you know, I read the Reserve Bank statement yesterday eight times. Um, mm. So, and I do obsess about these sorts of things. It's like you're saying, if you're obsessed about your food, and I do get excited. I mean, mm. I literally get excited about mm. something that would for everybody else might be a bit boring or just mm. be looked at as a a tough task. How important is because people say, oh, don't be OCD, don't be obsessive. Mm. How important do you think that is? to you for your success? I mean, being obsessive, loving what you're doing, get, still getting excited about it. Well, you know, to me, it, it just goes to show that, you know, I, I've, I've done the right thing in life for one. You know, I'm definitely doing the right job. Um, to, you know, it, it's just, it brings joy to other people, but it's just, it brings joy to me. I, I, I love what I do. I love cooking. Is it entertainment? Do you love entertaining them or is it more about the creativity of the food and what they the look on their face when you put it in front of them. What is it, or is it the smell? What is it, the process of doing? It? What, what excites you? The, the, what excites me is just doing it and watching it all come together at the end. Yeah, you know, yeah. the the theatre of it. Um, you know, and I have to say, during COVID, in the beginning of it, you know, being a, a chef and a restaurateur, having my kids at home. You know, Harry was, you know, doing medicine in Melbourne, and he's back up here, and and you know, Amelia's still at school, and having them at home. 
every night and cooking. God, it helps to have a smart mother, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just put him on your leg. Yeah. That's true, though. Um, and uh, and it's a really funny story. This one is where you know I'd be cooking every night, and I'd I'd basically have food ready to go on the on the table, and I want everyone to sit down and, and eat it when it's at its prime. And um, Amelia would go, oh, I'm just going to have a shower. And Harry would go, I'm oh, ring fuck. on the phone. And it's like, guys, no. And I was getting a bit angry by it, you know. And I remember one night I cooked uh, some short ribs and I smoked them and they were they were pretty bloody good, Mark. They were, you know, in the green egg, they were just beautiful. In fact, Harry um, had a little bit and he said, Dad, I think it's the best piece of meat I've ever eaten in my life. Anyway, we finished the meal we're eating and we're talking about COVID and you know, how bad it's been and whatever else. And Harry goes, you know what, Dad? It could be a lot worse. And I was like, mate, really? I said, you can't really say that to me, you know. Businesses are all shut down and, you know, people are out of work and it's pretty bad. And he goes, oh, yeah, but could you imagine being at home and both parents being really shit cooks? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> it just clicked on his like the lucky little bastard. And I, you know, when we started opening up again, you know, I started, I was cooking and I cooked this 12-kilo brisket one day and, Said Harry, I said, mate, you know, you can have a couple of mates around if you want. There was ten of them by the end of it, all around the table with the bread roll and a bit of coleslaw, eating this smoked bit of brisket. You know, that to me, I I love. You know, when I see kids, you know, eighteen, nineteen year old kids, oh, yeah. are just you know, absolutely loving what what you're doing and and the joy of it. And and uh, when you talk about COVID and and how bad it's been, Mark, if someone came to you in twenty years and said, mate. In 2000, you're going to have a really shit time. You're going to lose a stack of money, but you're going to have your kids at home every day for, for three months. You wouldn't even think about it. You'd say yes any day. And and that to me was a was a real, you know, nice feeling to have, you know, my boy around, you know, he's at drinking age. He can have a Negroni of an afternoon and, and my daughter. And that was fun. Well, I know a chef, say Guillaume yep. or say, um, or Gary Megan, but they, these guys – Sometimes they're better off not owning restaurants, but they're better off actually, um, like, like you know, for example, down at Crown, um, mm. he's better off fronting restaurants for Crown who own the restaurants, run the business, mm. look mm. after costs, mm. you know, mm. sort the rent out, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And But Guillaume's really good just getting paid a consultancy fee mm. to, to be the dude. Yeah. Who, yeah. who sort of, what do they call front of house? There are some, and, and or Neil, Neil sold everything out. I mean, yeah. so they built to sell. Yeah. What is... Matt Moran doing? Is he building to do something or I mean, what, what's your exit? I mean, wh- wh- yeah. or do you not ever exit? You just enjoy the dividends yeah. of, of what you do? Look, you know, it, it's, it's a very good question. Um, you know, I've got uh, an 18 year old kid who wants to be a doctor and who's doing it. And uh, I've got a, you know, a 15 year old daughter that wants to own the world. Um, she's a bit like me. She's smart like a mother, but she's a bit of a thug. She's a very smart thug. If you want one of them, you want your daughter to be smart. She <laughs> hates when I, I like say that. that, but, you know, she's she's cunning. She knows, how to make, she knows how to make a dollar. Um, whether she ever wants to go in the industry, I'm not sure. But, you know, my biggest thing with my kids is you do what you love in life and I don't care what you do as long as you enjoy it because life is too long to do something that you, you don't want to do. But I, I do remember uh, Amelia saying to me one day, Dad, when are you going to retire? Hmm. And I'm like, oh, Mim, you know, probably never. You know, I have properties and and – you know, businesses that and farm and whatever else, and and that'll succeed and keep going on. And the look on her face was like complete disappointment. And cause she basically said, "I want to take over your empire and, and do it right." <laughs> that was when she was about eight. But look, I, I don't know what the end game is, Mark. I, I love what I do, and I don't see an end yet. You know, I think my 
thirst for owning a hundred venues, you know, probably five years ago has waned a little bit. Um, I love the farm. I'm spending a lot more time on the farm. You know, we breed cattle, we breed we've got fat lamb, pigs. I'm going to put some little eco cabins on it. Um, you know, my father, my father um, was part of it for, for many, many years, and still sort of um, has a, some fingers in it. That's Moran meat. That's, That's Moran, Moran lamb, Moran, Moran beef. Yep. And you know, I want to do some more stuff there, and and uh, and sort of you know go a little bit left field with that, and and change the farming practice a little bit to you know more regen and and biodynamics and all that sort of stuff because I'm getting more and more into. I've got a lot of friends that are really into it. But that stuff, will, that stuff. Will, if you're an obsessive sort of person, which you are, that will sort of take a lot of a lot of your brain. That'll take a lot of your brain power, and and it'll start to suck you in a bit. Uh, I think it will, but I think you know. I think I'm I'm pretty good at this. Is where I'll I'll get the right people around me, yeah, and and just get the feedback. And look, I don't spend a lot of time at the farm, um, but I want to spend more, you know. And it's only three hours away, and you know I'm not going to live there, but I'm I want to spend a bit more time there with friends and 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 use it a lot more. Um, with restaurants, you know, look, who knows, you know, I don't particularly ever want to be, you know out of it. I'd love to sort of keep things, you know, happening and going and it's what I love. I don't know what I would do. Because everybody thinks, oh, oh, you know, they look at me and they say, oh, you sold the business wizard for all this money. Yeah. But, but like literally within one year I was back into a business. Yeah, I mean, I'm, what am yeah. I going to do? Like sit yeah. around, play golf. Yeah. I'm not a golfer. Yeah. I'm not going to go. I don't want to buy a boat and sit out in the harbour. No. Where's Matt Moran? I, I like to keep active. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, in doing what I do. Yeah, absolutely. I've done a YouTube series called Kitchen Tales, which is just about to come out in the next week or so. And uh, how, many, how many apps? I've done seven so far. And what's um, it about? What is it? It's just I find out a little bit, and you'd be the perfect person to come onto it. So I'll find out, I'll dig around, you know, some family or you and, and what you were brought up eating. And, you know, I already know a little bit now because you just told me. Um, and then I'll invite you over to my house. You walk in and I'm, you sit at the table and, and we've got cameras everywhere. I'm just cooking for you. And I'm just having a bit of fun. So, you know, I've had some really interesting people. What's the show. series called? It's called Kitchen Tales. Kitchen Tales. Yeah. I'll have a look at it. Because, I mean, I'm a mad YouTuber these yeah, days. Yeah, right. I, I love YouTube. I mean, I, even at my age, I'm actually watch, watch less television now. And I, yeah. I, well, I, my TV screens, my mobile phone or my laptop. But I had some great guys. I, I, I wanted some interesting characters. I got Maine White, who's the guy, that, the Indigenous guy that did yep. that incredible monologue and won the Archibald. And Charlie Arnott is a big regen farmer. Um, Brooke Boney from Channel 9, just because I, I like Brooke and I like her story from, you know, what she was eating. Um, but, yeah, next next series I'll be looking for um, for some more guinea pigs. I mean, for more people to come over. Oh, I'd love to come. <laughs> Matt Moran, thanks very much. Mark, mate. great to see you, buddy. It's been great. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.